In a recent paper published in the Journal of the Radiological Society of North America, the authors opened as follows. The silo metaphor is an adequate description of current practices in the diagnostic specialties. Radiology, pathology, and genomics constitute three diagnostic disciplines with similar characteristics in terms of complex exploratory pathways. Despite their closeness and mutual interdependence, touching points are today remarkably few, and the support for close collaboration is meager. In recent years, however, voices have been raised calling for tighter collaboration, creating deeply integrated workflows between radiology, pathology, and genomics. This multidisciplinary convergence is captured by the term integrated diagnostics, end quote. This makes all the sense in the world, right? So what is it that separates pathology, radiology, and genomics today? What are the threats to that vision, and what's required to make it real? Hello and welcome to DataPoint, the podcast about all the ways data and analytics are driving innovation in healthcare today. I'm your host, Greg Matthews, and our guest this week is Geraldine McGinty, a New York-based Irish radiologist who's well-positioned to tackle some of these questions. Until 2013, Dr. McGinty was managing partner of a 70-physician multi-specialty group on Long Island. In 2014, she joined the faculty at Weill Cornell Medicine in New York City. As well as her clinical practice there, she serves as Chief Strategy Officer and Chief Contracting Officer for the Weill Cornell Physician Organization's more than 1,400 members. In May of 2018, she was elected as the Chair of the American College of Radiology's Board of Chancellors, the first woman to hold this office. I had an opportunity to co-present with Dr. McGinty at a gathering of the American College of Radiology a few years ago. It's now a great honor to welcome her to DataPoint. Geraldine, thank you so much for being with us on DataPoint today. Thanks for having me. It's been a long time coming. I, uh, you and I have known each other for, gosh, it's got to be at least five years now since we met, I believe, at an ACR event. Um, but I'm really pleased to have you on the show. Um, I've always been very impressed by the work that I see the American College of Radiology doing to think about the future, and uh, I'm glad to be able to talk with you about that today. Well, thank you. Um, I always think of us in radiology as being the most uh, innovative specialty. Obviously, I'm a little biased, so I'm, <laughs> I'm glad that that's coming through in our brand. Absolutely. So one of the things I like to do on DataPoint is before we dive into your work and vision for the future, I'd love to give our listeners a little bit of uh, a sense of who you are and how you came to be where you are. Some of those, maybe those signposts that pointed you in this direction. Would you mind giving us a little bit of a, a brief bio? Sure. Currently, I'm chair of the American College of Radiology's Board of Chancellors, and the American College of Radiology is a professional organization that represents about 38,000 radiologists. And we're, I would say we're, we're known as the representative for all matters, policy and economic for radiologists. We do a lot of work also in quality and, and practice parameters or standards. My work at the ACR started in economics, so I was at the forefront of the way in which reimbursement for our services is derived and, and developed. So I've always had an interest in how we shape care delivery through payment policy and you know, understanding the way in which we can actually um, get um, better care through payment policy and some of the misaligned incentives that you know, we're all dealing with and struggling with. Um, 
I've obviously had um, a lot of focus on where we're going as a specialty in terms of how artificial intelligence is going to impact um, us through my leadership role in the ACR. But um, I think that my clinical practice has also um, been important because I'm a breast imager. So mm. um, I read mammograms and, and other um, breast imaging um, examinations. I have a, a, a viewpoint of how we impact population health through radiology. And that's probably informed my viewpoint that rather than being nervous or scared about what artificial intelligence will do in our specialty, that I'm excited to think about how we can improve population health through using tools like AI. And I think that that is really interesting. And we, we may as well start there because I think it's sort of the elephant in the room. Um, you know, there have been some provocative statements about AI being the, the doom of radiology, which I, I think we would agree is silly. But I guess I'm curious about your perspective on it. You know, does that point of view have any validity? Um, but then I guess more... Uh, interestingly, I'd love to talk about how you see that how, uh, that future coming together in terms of uh, AI and radiology enhancing the practice rather than uh, upending it. Sure. Let me be clear. I think the way we practice radiology will change. But the way we've practiced radiology since the birth of our specialty with the discovery of the x-ray in 1895 has been really a, a period of consistent and constant change. Whether it's the innovations that we've seen in the technology, you know, going from x-rays to functional imaging, PET combined with MR, even in my own specialty, I am using technology to read mammograms today that wasn't even invented when I was a resident in the late mm. 1980s. So, you know, I think the people who gravitate to radiology are comfortable with that intersection of technology and patient care and, and, and excited about doing that more effectively. Um, you know, there has indeed been a lot of hype and some, some particularly, um, I think, careless statements about, you know, the, the, the workforce of the future, whether we should even train radiologists. But hmm. I think, you know, when you look at artificial intelligence and machine learning as another tool that can, you know, help us be better diagnosticians and actually enable us to provide care to a greater number of people, um, then I think it's impossible to be anything other than, you know, excited. Now, I will say a note of caution, you know, one of the messages that I speak about a lot and that, that the ACR has espoused is that no stakeholder is going to get us up this, we'll call it a mountain alone, that some of the, the, the biggest hype that we're seeing from, from companies who've developed an algorithm that, that answers one specific question really fails to appreciate, A, the complexity of what it means to make a diagnosis in a whole human patient but also doesn't really, I think, leverage uh, the opportunity to embed tools into our workflow. Um, you know, we provide care to human patients. We provide that in the context of, of you know, the other care and the other providers involved in the care of those patients. And um, you know, it's important that as we build tools that they are adding value mm. and that they're adding value for those particular patients. And when I say that, what I mean is, I look at some of the missteps that we've had in medical research where, you know, decisions that we make today routinely in terms of prescribing or guidelines have been made based on research that really sampled a tiny fraction of our population that's overwhelmingly white and male. Mm -hmm. um, we, we mustn't let ourselves, 
make that mistake again. We must make sure that we're increasing the value of care for all of our patients through diversity in data and algorithms that are really safe and free from bias. So you've, you've touched on a number of really interesting points here, and I want to start following them up. One of the things that I'm curious about is I think the way that you articulate the deep connection between radiology and technology through the course of its history is a very compelling one, right? This is, this is not a group of people that shy away from technology. Um, it, the, the two are inexplicably, inextricably linked. How, how do you get to a place as a practice where radiologists are helping to define what that future looks like as opposed to the future being imposed upon them? What are some of the things that you see happening in, in radiology um, that are helping to stay ahead of that curve? That's a great question and, and so important um, because what we're seeing is that the traditional ecosystem in which we functioned as radiologists, where our industry um, collaborators and partners were companies like GE and Philips, or even some of the electronic health record or, or um, medical or imaging record companies, we now have companies like Google and Facebook in our world. So it's really important that they understand the unique perspective that we have and the value that we can add in, in developing these tools. So the ACR set up our Data Science Institute in 2017 with that goal in mind. We wanted to articulate the value of radiologists in this, in this space. Um, we wanted to be clear that we came into this space with you know, this unique, as physicians, oath to our patients to protect them. That's not to say there aren't amazing people in industry working on, on these innovations, but you know, balancing shareholder value and return on investment with mm -hmm. you know, how we protect our patients, I think that's where we come into the conversation, bringing, um, bringing that obligation in a useful way. Um, and then I think we, you know, we obviously have radiologists who are advancing the science um, and advancing the science in academic institutions, but also in collaboration with industry. Um, I think the last piece of it that's really important is that what we have to do is we have to educate radiologists of the future with the right balance of the traditional um, skills that we've had to learn as radiologists, but also the ability to curate and consume artificial intelligence tools in, a, in an intelligent way, in a smart way. And that actually is a, is a really interesting point. And it gets to uh, something you mentioned earlier. You talked about the fact that so much of our clinical practice has been driven by research that's inherently biased uh, and uh, because it has not been done with a, a diverse population. Can you say a little bit more about that and about how the practice of radiology can help to mitigate that problem, you know, not only today, but as we're educating for the future? Sure. Well, I, I want to say, first off, I'm not a data scientist, but um, an example that comes to mind is, is uh, two, I'll give you two examples. One is lung nodules. So obviously little small masses in the lungs, and, and this has been an area of intense interest in the developer community um, in, in terms of how we detect them, because obviously a, a tiny lung nodule today can grow into a, a lung cancer tomorrow. Um, there are parts of the country, notably the Ohio River Valley, where there's a particular um, essentially benign disease called histoplasmosis, which means that many, many people have these lung nodules. So when you practice in that area, you read those images with a different viewpoint on the probability of disease in those patients. Hmm. 
for our algorithms to really be useful, they're going to have to know things like that. Where is this patient from? Um, and you know, so that diversity of data. The other uh, example, um, we, uh, we've traditionally had a resource that we use to determine bone age. So what we mean by that is, uh, obviously, if, there's, if a child has growth delay, um, it could be for a number of reasons. And the, the way in which we actually detect that is we look at the, the age of their bones compared to a normal reference. Mm -hmm. And there's this book called Grulich and Pyle that's been in every radiology reading room for, for years. And again, that's an, an area of intense interest. Why would we not use a good reference set and do this electronically? The data set in Grulich and Pyle, we realize, is from a relatively small group of children in, I believe it was Indiana, um, in the 1940s. The question is, does that reference set, is that meaningful today? Is wow. that, I believe most of those children were white. Is that reference set meaningful for a more diverse population? So as we recreate that tool electronically, let's make sure that we're aware of the diversity of populations that may in fact be serving because we don't want to call something normal if it's not, and we don't want to call something abnormal if it's not. That is fascinating. And what you're talking about really at a macro level is essentially questioning the canon of the specialty, which is absolutely critical for evolution, right? I mean, isn't that what it's all about, being willing to question the things that have been you know, perceived as bedrock? I think absolutely, and, and actually beyond that, Greg, it's about understanding what is in the data that we as humans haven't even been able to, to leverage. There's a really exciting work that um, Regina Barzlai at MIT is doing in collaboration with Connie Lehman at Mass General, not just looking at how to read the mammogram in the way that the radiologist would read it, but actually looking at the mammogram data. And their work shows that they're able to predict breast cancer risk from the mammogram data in a way that I, as a human radiologist, just can't do. So it's, it's really, I think, being open to going beyond what we can do as humans. Now, as a, as a breast imager, as a clinician, I believe I'm always going to have a role to help the other physicians or providers taking care of that patient and the patient herself understand what to do about that risk, you know, what other imaging may, may support the hypothesis that's been generated by the mammogram. But I think it's that openness to going beyond what we can do that's really exciting. That is really fascinating. Um, and uh, you, you raise an interesting point here because you talked about um, the fact that you've integrated data science into the, into the American College of, of Radiology. What are some of the other practice areas that you may see sort of converging in the future as we think about the future of, of diagnosis? Well, I think that we're really excited about the possibility of using not just using these kinds of tools to not just look at imaging data but to incorporate pathology data genomics data um, you know so-called integrated diagnostics to present a more holistic answer to clinical questions and that i find that really interesting can, can you say more about some of the ways that you see is it and let me know if i'm interpreting this right i think what i hear you saying is that being able to truly integrate data science into diagnostic practice gives us this ability um, to connect disciplines that were previously fairly separate. Am I, am I reading that right? 
Right. So at the end of the day, diagnosis, and there was a 2015 report from the Institute of Medicine about, about diagnosis, which I think captured what it is that we're trying to do. It's about integrating information. And when you think about the amount of information we have in the imaging data, which is, has grown you know, incrementally, mm. um, and then adding in the data from pathology and genomics, at, the very, at its most simplistic, it's about doing that in a way that, that is actually manageable from a data point of view. Mm. Um, so pulling it together just so that you can even process it. Um, then I think you can layer on um, tools that bring in perhaps the available evidence and, and, and integrate data in a way that, that sort of highlights the connection. So an imaging finding in the context of a genomic picture. So I'm going to take a quick break now. Uh, we're going to hear a word from our sponsors, but this is one, this is a thread that I'd like to pull on a bit when we come back. So please stick around. We will be right back with DataPoint. Welcome back to DataPoint. I'm your host, Greg Matthews. We are here with Dr. Geraldine McGinty. Um, we have been talking about the future of radiology. And uh, when we left for the break, we were talking about this concept of integrated diagnostics, this ability to connect um, the data behind radiology, pathology, genomics, health records, et cetera. And I, I find that concept really intriguing. But could you say a bit more, Geraldine, about where we are in that process? Well, I think we've, there are some notable institutions that are paving the way. Uh, actually, I know you're based in Austin, Greg, and um, <laughs> at the new medical school there in Austin actually has a department of integrated diagnostics into which the departments of radiology and pathology report. So that's very exciting. And you know, I think there are some really intriguing possibilities around combined training programs, but those are, I think, well into the future. We all know right now that our healthcare information is very siloed. Our imaging data is in one system. Our electronic health record is in another. Um, pathology is largely not digital. So we're, mm -hmm. most pathology departments are still working on glass slides. And so pulling that information together to even understand what it will mean for us in a, when, when it's presented to the, the diagnostician in a more integrated way, I think that's in the future. But um, you know, there's no doubt that seeing the whole picture of the patient, you know, if I'm reading a mammogram today, I can look in the electronic health record, or we, we obviously have a patient questionnaire where the patient talks about whatever mutations she may have. But to be able mm -hmm. to see the more complete picture of what her genomic risk is in an integrated way as I'm reading the mammogram, I've got to believe is going to make me a better diagnostician. It, it does make sense. And I, obviously, you know, you've articulated some of the the barriers to that future of integrated diagnostics, you know, starting with the fact that, you know, if pathology is still being done on slides and health records are still kept in a paper file, uh, that definitely sounds like a hindrance. Are there other barriers that you see that you think, you know, maybe some of the new technology coming down the road will help us to solve? I think a a big problem that we have in healthcare right now, and this is really not really specific to artificial intelligence, is just that innovating in large health systems, which are security conscious and cautious, disrupting those, those silos and, and really being perhaps taking some risks around the way information flows across systems is something that our hospital CIOs are appropriately nervous about. Um, mm. So I think that, that, and then I think there's, obviously there are care patterns that are well-established and 
going back to my my original interest in payment policy and how it shapes care, we will have to get beyond some of the ways in which we pay for care and, and move perhaps towards more integrated payments to systems for providing care and how think about how we do that effectively to encourage this kind of collaborative and, and integrated care versus each provider um, having a more mm. siloed approach to how they get incentivized to provide that care. You know, I, that actually leads me, I want to I wanna back up for a minute because one of the things that we started talking about was the fact that the American College of Radiology has been, I would say, a very forward-thinking group in terms of helping to proactively shape the direction of the practice. In fact, when you and I met, uh, we were we were talking about something called Imaging 3.0. And I'm wondering if you can tell us sort of at a meta level, what are some of the things that ACR is doing to help shape that? You know, you talked about the Data Science Institute. You've mentioned the fact that we need to rethink the way that we do reimbursement. How is it that ACR... Uh, is staying in in the forefront of these issues, and what are the, some of the things that perhaps other medical organizations could learn from as a result of that? I think that we are always interested in being at the table. So that's a that's a that's a first first principle. Mm. Wherever conversations are being had about medical care, we want to be at the table. So we do we do a lot of um, networking and, and influence building, not in, I think, a, a self-serving way, but just wanting to be part of the conversation, whether that's you know, in the, with the Data Science Institute and that rapidly evolving space, but, but in Baltimore with Medicare in, in, on Capitol Hill with Congress. So mm. first of all, we need to be in the conversation. Um, radiologists are also system physicians. If you think about it, we, we interact with every physician in the hospital or in the health system. So, um, you know, understanding how we can leverage that position, I think has been, has been important to us, but also recognizing that we had perhaps lost a little of that influence, you know, the, the electronic, um, the digitization of what we did and our ability to say read remotely, um, had made us less visible to the rest of the health system. So imaging 3.0 was all about bringing us, bringing us back, making us more visible so that we could again be part of the conversation and be at the table. Interesting. And if I'd, I'd love to explore that. Is that something that you could help us understand a little bit? What would that look like, um, you know, in terms of using that position as really kind of a connector uh, within the health system? How, how, how would that manifest itself? Well, I mean, I think you see it every day when a radiologist goes to a tumor board and is able to, um, you know, support uh, the rest of the care team in terms of what the imaging means to the patient. Uh, and more and more, I think we're seeing radiology departments embedding radiologists in, say, ENT clinic or mm. um, sending radiologists on ICU rounds. So there's, there's some very almost lo-fi at this point ways in which we can do that. But um, a big goal for me in my second year as ACR board chair is external relationships. So it's making sure that as you know, a community like um, the AAMC, the uh, American Association of Medical Colleges, thinks about education, mm-hmm. that we're part of that conversation, that we're, we're a member of that organization so that we can influence the training of medical students to make sure that we get physicians and radiologists who are, who are enabled to move the profession forward. So um, I think we do it in very local ways, but we also do it in national ways. And it actually, that leads to another interesting point. And 
the context in which you and I met was related to social media. And I know that the integration of social media into radiology practice, or at least um, the ability for radiologists to communicate using social media had been an important point of emphasis for a long time. I'm wondering, are there other things that the ACR is doing or has done that have helped to facilitate and sort of spread those ideas throughout the radiology community more quickly and effectively? Well, social media has definitely been an important part of the way in which we've tried to connect, not just within our radiology community, but with patients and with Mm. other uh, physician specialties. My own entree into the use of Twitter was feeling as a breast imager that there was a lot of misinformation about the value of screening and really wanting to reach directly to the patient community. Um, I think that we've, um, you know, we obviously have a network of state chapters and, and, and where, where we were able to propagate some of those, some of those initiatives. Um, but I think that uh, we also learn a lot from our younger members who um, have, I think, uh, a different approach to engaging with the organization that's more, um, that's more goal-driven. Uh, that's more, you know, specific project driven. So I think we've tried to really adapt our, or I would say we're continuing to adapt our member engagement efforts to make sure that we are opening up to as many members as possible who want to get involved in specific projects. And I think by doing that, we will be able to propagate our philosophy around the value of imaging. I think that is really exciting. Um, I am so glad we had a chance to talk through some of these things. I know that we've only scratched the surface, but you've gotten me very excited about this future of integrated diagnostics and seeing where it's going to, uh, where it's going to shake out, but also some of those more mundane things or seemingly mundane things like how do we actually fund and reimburse for diagnostics, for screenings. It's going to be so vitally important. Uh, And I know that there are potential changes in the future. So we're going to be watching with interest to see where the ACR will lead us And I guess in closing, I just wanted to say thank you, Geraldine, personally for being willing to spend the time with us. I know our listeners are going to really enjoy hearing about that vision of the future from you. Thank you very much for having me, Greg. Thanks so much for listening to the Data Point podcast. If you like what you've heard, please do rate, review, and share it with your social network. It means a lot. And if you have ideas for show topics or guests, please email them to me at greg at healthquant.health or send a direct message to at Chai Moose on Twitter. That's C-H-I-M-O-O-S-E on Twitter. For more information about this show or any of the terrific healthcare podcasts in the Touchpoint Media Network, check them out at touchpoint.health. See you next time.